The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Uh, the Department of um, National Defense uh, it comes, you know, it, our next story comes from that. As we head into Remembrance Week, some some closure for the family of a Canadian soldier from Alberta. Now, he died during the Second World War and was buried in a, in a nameless grave in the Netherlands. But thanks to a program dedicated to identifying Canadian service members in those graves, we now know who he is. Trooper Henry George Johnson was born in Chauvin, Alberta on May 2nd, 1915. He enlisted in Calgary in 1943. He trained in Ontario and arrived in the UK in July of 1994. He went on to be a member of the One Armoured Personnel Carrier Regiment, Canadian Armoured Corps, and Canadian Active Service Force. Um, That was in November of 1944. He died... Uh, and was declared killed in action on January 17, 1945. Now, the work to identify Trooper Johnston has been painstaking. This afternoon, we are joined by the Department of National Defense historian who worked on identifying his remains, Renee Davis, and the Casualty Identification Coordinator with the Department of National Defense, Dr. Sarah Lockyer. Dr. Lockyer, welcome back to the show. Renee, welcome to 630 Chad. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Um, you know what, Renee, before I, I get to you and you can give us a little bit more of the details on how you identified uh, Trooper Johnston, uh, Dr. Lockyer, for those who don't know much about this program, uh, about um, uh, the program to identify uh, remains, uh, to identify soldiers who were buried in, in unmarked graves, it, it has quite the history, doesn't it? How far back does it go? Um, well, the, the Casualty Identification Program itself was officially created in 2007. However, mm-hmm. um, the Canadian Armed Forces has been doing this type of identification work um, since the very beginning, as it was the Canadian Forces who were responsible to identify their own following the First and Second World Wars. Uh, so it's just really a continuation of what the Canadian Armed Forces has always done. Dr. Lockyer, how long have you been involved with this program for now? Um, I have been involved with this program for just over four years now. For four years. And um, in that time, how many identifications have been positively made? Since, um, well, I'll go back actually till 2007, uh, 2007, mostly because I remember those numbers more so. <laughs> but uh, we've been able to identify 31 sets of remains since 2007. And now um, with this new process that we've begun to uh, standardize a bit more into doing the identification of graves, so therefore for the headstones that are marked as unknowns and then we're able to confirm their identification, we've been able to announce two of those so far. Two of those, all right. I mean, we talk about painstaking work. It is painstaking work. We've talked a couple of times over the past uh, number of years, Dr. Lockyer, about uh, when remains um, uh, have been found uh, at former battlegrounds, that sort of thing. But but the identification of, of, of Trooper Johnston has been different. Renee, can you give us an idea how, how it came about that 
Trooper Johnston's came onto to your radar because it's not like um, his remains were found that had been dug up in, in a field somewhere um, at, at a battle site. He, his body had been buried. So can you give us an idea of that process? Yeah, so in the case of Trooper Johnston, um, we actually got an email from the regiment's historian uh, just kind of letting us know that he had submitted a formal research request to the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. Uh, and basically, these are requests that people kind of all over the world can submit. And uh, CWGC has quite a vigorous process to make sure that, you know, people, when they are submitting the information, are, are making sure that they're doing their, their research. But once they receive the request, they do kind of a preliminary overview to see, you know, is there enough evidence there to potentially support a change? And then they reach out to the actual nation that is involved. So in this case, they sent us the their research. They sent us the original inquiry. And uh, and then we actually had the uh, <laughs> the job of, of going through everything and, and ultimately doing the final confirmation. So, so you know, Renee, I've I have I have gone through so many uh, Canadian war cemeteries uh, throughout uh, Belgium and, and France over the years, and I've seen those headstones that don't have a name on it. I, I'm wondering how the regimental historian was able to think that this was the headstone that that marked trooper johnston's body you know like how how does that what what kind of trail led to led to that to me that's amazing yeah so these cases are actually just fascinating because usually it's it's a mixture of a lot of things that kind of have to all click together so in this particular instance uh, the researcher himself actually was able to connect with the family, and it turns out that he was doing research while the family was simultaneously doing research. And they were able to kind of combine and work together, and it actually worked out in that they found a variety of personal correspondence that had talked about uh, Trooper Johnston's death. Um, the, his best friend, the gentleman who had been in the armored personnel carrier with him when he died, actually was telling his, his son the story of that night um so that kind of went through the family and they were able to write all that information down and document to make sure that you know that element of it wasn't lost um in this particular instance the the canadian kangaroos were actually the only canadians that were in that area at that time uh-huh. um they were serving to actually move british infantry soldiers around so the fact that a canadian grave from that location popped up as being an unknown was a little bit of an anomaly which helped us to narrow down who potential candidates were for the grave a bit more quickly than say some other locations um not only that but the regiment itself was actually relatively short-lived and they had very few um casualties they had very few deaths over the course of you know their time serving and very very few missing actually trooper johnston was the only one who didn't have a known grave so through this information they were slowly able to kind of narrow things down and then it's a matter of not only confirming that all of the different evidence points to the fact that it is Trooper Johnson, but also we have to go through and make sure it can't possibly be anyone else, Anybody which else? is a matter of combing through all
all the personnel files, all the war diaries, everything we can possibly find on all the other missing Canadians with unknown graves that could have been around that area at around the same time. So it's a very um, time-consuming process, but it really does depend on that original research. I mean, the the historian and the family coming together to find all of this information and and get us those documents are, are ultimately what led to the identification. Renee, from from start to finish, how long did it take to identify Trooper Johnston? Oh, um, I can't speak on behalf of the historian himself and how long he and the the family were working on it, because I imagine, at least from the correspondence, they were probably digging for years. Um, I think I spent a good two to three months focusing specifically on this case. Um, It's it's painstaking at times, but it's all worthwhile in the end. So, Renee, in this case, um, were any of Trooper Johnston's remains um, exhumed so a DNA test could be done? Was that needed? No. So in this case, well, in all of our cases, actually, the remains are never exhumed. Dr. Lockyer can speak to this a little bit more. Um, But in this case, there was actually mixed evidence. Uh, Some suggestions in the the documentation actually said that the evidence... uh, pardon me, said that the remains were too fragmented to actually be able to bury. Some were saying that it was sent to a hospital. Some were saying that it was buried. So there was a variety of different information, but the idea of exhumation was never one that we were going to pursue. Uh, in the in, in the case of these identification of graves cases, we only ever work based on historical okay. research and making wow. sure that we have access or find information that those who are doing the work, you know, at the time in, say, 1945, 1947, when all of the original internments were being done, um, we can only identify if we have new evidence that supports the name <laughs> that they didn't have <laughs> access to back then. Okay, so Dr. Lockyer, so in the past when we have talked about DNA, that's when remains have been found, and that's in, in those cases it can be used? That's correct. So when you okay. have remains that are discovered because of construction, for example, yes. that's when we'll uh, utilize DNA. All right. Okay. So, so um, Dr. Lockyer, you know, when I when I contacted you today to say, hey, let's let's uh, talk about this, and and you said you really need to talk to Renee as well because she did a lot of work on this. Um, you know, in in your role, seeing you know as the coordinator, as the casualty identification coordinator, someone in this position for the length of time that that you have been in. I mean, when 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 Renee told you, hey, I think, you know, we've got this. We've got this. We know who we 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 have a positive ID. What'd you think? Um, I I was delighted, just like um, in any of the cases. But at the same time, I know that uh, Ms. Davis does uh, stellar work. So uh, I was was very happy to hear of that uh, that conclusion. So I'm wondering, um, Renee, um, when it comes to letting the family know this when when you get to tell them or was it you that got to tell them that you have this positive id that you're going to say yes this is his um this is his 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 final resting place were you the one to make that phone call (laughs) i was not unfortunately i would have loved Uh, to but we do have a process that actually you know stands so that uh we're making sure that it's the cast that's actually notifying the family i mean ultimately he is he is a serving member, and it's his, hmm. you know, it's his regiment and the Cass family that gets to do that. But uh, it's, you know, it's it's uh, an absolute honor to be part of the process, nonetheless. 
Wow, absolutely incredible. And there is going to be a, a headstone rededication ceremony that uh, that will take place uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, do we know when that might happen? And and I know Dr. Lockyer has been able to attend some of them in the past. Um, Ms. Davis, uh, will you have an opportunity to, to be a part of this one? <laughs> uh, well, I think at that point, at this point, that's the big question. Um, I, I believe Dr. Lockyer can speak to this a bit more. She's on the planning side of things, but uh, I'm, I'm certain the, the headstone rededication ceremony will take place as soon as we absolutely can. Uh, whether I'll be able to attend or not, unclear, but I certainly hope so. And if not, I'll, I'll definitely make my way over. I've had the chance to. Uh, go visit some of the other graves for some of the other cases I've worked on in the past. And, you know, the moment when you actually get to sit there and see the name on the headstone is, is so powerful. So if I can't get there right away, I'll, I'll certainly go visit him when I can. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Lockyer, Renee Davis, I want to thank you for the work uh, that uh, that you do, the painstaking work that you do, and uh, I believe it is truly, truly I- important, and it um, it closes chapters for, for a lot of families, and that is so very important, but more important is that we, we make sure that the headstones bear the names of, of our fallen, that they are correct, and that those whose remains are, are found, that we can have a dignified burial for them. So, so thank you for the work that you're doing and, and thank you for keeping us informed on, uh, on on these cases when they do happen. It's it's always good to talk with you and find out more about the work that you do. Thank you so much for having us today, Jalen. Yes, thank take you. Care. Yeah, take care now. All right, Uh, Dr. Sarah Lockyer and Renee Davis. And it's interesting, if you Google right now, if you want to find out more about the Casualty Identification Coordinator, uh, the Casualty Identification Program and how it works, the two of them just worked on a paper. It's only about 20 pages long, and it uh, it talks about the history of it. And uh, and if you're interested in military history like I am, um, that might be something that you want to take some time to to check out. It's It's a good read that explains it all and and uh, it looks a little bit more into some some numbers and just some some interesting facts that uh, as we head into remembrance week starts november 5th that uh, just might be um, a good read at this time of year 911 911 what's your emergency ah, i'm on a cruise ship ah, there was an explosion oh my god the ship is sinking i can't get out there's water everywhere we're going Lock on your location. Stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.